All right, all those who are kindergarten through fifth grade, if you all come forward, and all those who are three, four, and five-year-olds, if you make your way to the back, you'll go with your teachers. Hey, Eric, what's worth it? Good to see you, man. All right. That's kindergarten through fifth grade to the front, and three, fours, and fives out the back. Hey, welcome everybody. It's, it's good to see you. I missed you all last week. Uh, we, we enjoyed some time with family in Missouri, and I appreciate so much having Matthew uh, have that opportunity to preach. I will let you know now that in October, uh, Matthew is I, I'm just challenging him to preach more, and, and in October he is uh, preparing uh, now, it, it'd be nice to have a few months to prepare for a series, but Matthew's preparing for a series he's going to preach in October and, and one of the Old Testament prophets. So uh, uh, we're going to look forward to that and be promoting that as we go. But I'm telling you, just so you pray him up. And now, I, all the time, I hope that you're praying anybody who presents, presents the Word of God. I hope you're praying for me because it, it is a privilege but it is also, man, a great responsibility to be able to present to you the Word of God. I want you to love His Word. I want you to love His Word. Uh, it, it, is, it is an amazing thing that God has done to lay out His story for us, His direction, His purpose, His will. And so uh, each Sunday we have the opportunity to, to love it by presenting it. And you, you have an opportunity by reading it and, and just having it at, at your access and, and uh, to make good use of that. Our, our series is uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? That's, that's been our summer series. And, and for me, the baseline has been answering the question, how do we love? Because you know, in, in Scripture, we're called to love. You know, one of the verses is, hey, love one another. Okay, we think about here within this community of believers, we need to be loving each other. And, and, and you know, that, I will not say that's always easy. You know, there's some difficulties in it, but, but through that command to love one another, that, that's uh, doable, right? We could learn to love one another. Uh, even, even in our differences and things, we could learn to love one another. But then Jesus also said, love your neighbor, Okay, now that becomes a little bit more difficult. Who's my neighbor? The question came, and it was that parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and you know, if you're a Jewish and you say, there's a par-, he's telling a parable of a Good Samaritan who, uh, when we ask who, who my neighbor is, I mean, we don't like Samaritans. And so it's the Samaritan he chooses to say, this, this is who your neighbor is, the one I have access to, the one I could help. You know, through that parable. And then, then at, towards the end of June, I had that uh, sermon I entitled Impossible Love. And it's that one where Jesus called us in Matthew 5 to love our enemy. Oh, my goodness. He, he, he really calls us to something, I, I wouldn't even say incredibly difficult. I would go back and say it's just impossible. Impossible. And, and so, Matthew, you know, as we're walking through this, uh, Matthew last week had the opportunity to talk about those difficult conversations that we're called to. And, and he described it, you know, basically his focus was on the tension that's created. When I heard that, I thought about the tension that, that really God has to, to have. Because here's a God who is absolutely holy, and yet he's merciful, 
absolutely holy, absolutely cannot uh, in, uh, be around sinfulness, or he ceases to be God. And yet his great long-suffering and his patience is amazing. And oh, the tension that's in there. And, and to see how he handles it, man, watch Jesus, right? And so through some of the sermons we've been doing, it's been we're watching Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 9 today. Matthew chapter 9, so if you have Bibles or your devices, you want to go ahead and bring that up. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13. Uh, and, and here's our focus today. It's on the religious leaders. In the story, the tension is brought up by the religious leaders. Matter of fact, it's the religious leaders that cause lots of trouble for Jesus. We've known that. Reading through the scriptures, if you're familiar with the Pharisees, uh, we, could, we could actually call them a thorn in Jesus' side at times. And, and there's, this is one of those situations that we're about to read today. Just to set this up, we believe it does not identify clearly where Jesus is, but very certain that he's in the area of Galilee where he did a lot of his ministry. And we're thinking in the city of Capernaum where he, where he did a lot of that Galilean ministry was in the city of Capernaum. And, and as it talks about Matthew, who's a tax collector, we're, we're thinking that he is very close to the shore of that Sea of Galilee where he's watching the fishermen come in. And he's taking account of what's being brought in. Why? Because he's a tax collector. And, and, and he is keeping records and, and, and things like that in order to collect those taxes. So let me read this passage, Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he saw a man named Matthew sitting in, at, a, at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and, uh, and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We look at this passage. We already know that, that uh, and what I've said earlier is that, that Pharisees, the Pharisees were trouble for Jesus. And, and, and one of the reasons the Pharisees were trouble for Jesus is because they were self-righteous. They, they were self-righteous. I think it's important that we understand what that self-righteous. So here's the definition that I've, I've written down for self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a righteousness that you achieve through your own means, through your own efforts. It's, it's me completing my list of righteous things in order for me to be living a righteous life. That is self-righteousness. I'm dependent upon me. Now, problems with self-righteousness. Uh, one of the things about self-righteousness is that, that if you're self-righteous, you're going to be attending church. Because that's going to be one of those things on, on, on the list. So our churches are going to be filled with self-righteous people. Okay? Also, self-righteousness. Here's the difficult thing about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is blinding. 
It, it, it is very difficult to identify. If you yourself are, are, are self-righteous, it is not easy for you to self-diagnose. Okay? That's why I, I, I say that it is blindly. It is not easily detected. And today in this passage, in the text, we see Jesus eating with these sinners and then, then watch the Pharisees' response. Here is a truth about self-righteous people. The self-righteous live in conflict with Jesus. The self-righteous are going to live in conflict. I mean, definitely the Pharisees were in conflict with Jesus. And those who are self-righteous today, when I say that they have conflict with Jesus, it means where, where there's things that we need to be doing on his behalf, there's going to be people who are going to be in conflict with that. They're, they're not going to understand. They're going to even, even be a, a deterrent to what we need to be doing, just as, they were, just as the Pharisees were in the Gospels. So, man... Uh, today, I, I, I want to take this passage, here's what I want, want us to do. I want to put our, our focus upon these Pharisees, these self-righteous religious leaders. And I want us to identify the symptoms of self-righteousness that we see here in this passage. I think there's a lot of them, but I think there's some specific ones I want to point out that's in this passage. So let's begin here. First of all, the first symptom is this. The self-righteous are critical of righteous work. The self-righteous the self are critical of, self -righteous, of, of righteous work. <clears throat> now, the Pharisees were critical of Jesus. Uh, if, if you're familiar and you're a reader of the Gospels or even seen some, some reenactments, whether in video or other things, you know that the Pharisees were a conti continuously criticizing Jesus. One time Jesus was in the synagogue and, and there was a man with a withered hand there. So it's something noticeable. Jesus sees him, heals the man's hand. What did the Pharisees see? What did the self-righteous Pharisees see? They didn't see that, that he healed this man's hand. I mean, it was, it, it was probably a useless, withered hand to a place where it is useful and it looked completely restored. What did they see? You healed a man. You worked on the Sabbath. You dishonored the Sabbath by what? Healing this guy? What were you doing? What were you thinking? The criticism flowed. Even, even the paralytic through the roof, it was the you know, same thing. Here's this miraculous event taking place. The paralytic through the roof, Jesus tells him to get up and, <coughs> excuse me, this is going to be difficult today, and please, please be patient with that. Um, but, but anyway, Jesus not only tells him to get up, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And so what did the Pharisees see? Well, they didn't, they didn't see or, or, or even were, were amazed the fact that this paralytic can now walk. What was it? Oh, only God can forgive sins. What is he doing? And the criticism just began to flow again and again. Numerous times reading through the Gospels, you're going to see this. Matter of fact, let's get closer to home in Matthew. In Matthew, there's a couple of places, even after this chapter 9, <coughs> where, where uh, the... the, the um, Pharisees come up and they criticize his disciples. Uh, in, in chapter 12, uh, they come up and they criticize the disciples because they say, you are dishonoring the Sabbath. Why? Because they're walking down and next to a, a, a row, they're a field of wheat and they're gleaning from the wheat, it's, it's kernels, and they're, doing, they're harvesting and they're eating the kernels. And they say, hey, listen, you, you are dishonoring the, the Sabbath. Uh, later in, in chapter 15, they, they criticize 
the disciples now, the disciples of Jesus, because they're not washing their hands. Hey, your disciples aren't washing, washing their hands before they eat. Now, it's, it's not just, you know, like moms would say, did you wash your hands? It, it is more the ceremonial, that act of washing your hands. That was one of the rituals that they would do. And, and man, your disciples aren't following through. In our passage today, what's the problem? Well, Jesus is sitting down with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, okay, what's their problem? Well, they're crooked. You know, they're, they're well known to be crooked because that's how they make their wealth. They're crooked. They take more than they deserve because whatever they could take above, uh, above what w- is really needed, they get to keep. So, so they're crooked, and they're also, probably even worse, they're traitors to Israel. They're, they're traitors. They're absolutely, they, man, they are turncoats. They're the worst. And so I, I would say not just by the Pharisees, but all of Jerusalem, all, all of the Jews hated the tax collectors. And Jesus, in, in this particular evening, is sitting down with all these tax collectors, Matthew and his associates, and, and all the other sinners. Sinners, I mean, you know, other thieves, maybe gamblers, drunkards, uh, prostitutes, and, and so on. And Jesus is sitting down comfortable and, and having the opportunity to eat with these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus identifies them in verse 12. Let's go back. Verse 12 says, When Jesus, although they're approaching the disciples and asking the question directly to them, Jesus is the one who responds. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, of course, we're identifying those who are sinners, the tax collectors and sinners, as those who are sick. So Jesus is there because uh, I, I came. I'm the physician, and I've come here to be, I, I'm here for the sick. And, and the, second, you know, the second part of that, you know, walk away thinking, well, then, then uh, is Jesus referring to these uh, Pharisees, these, these self-righteous religious leaders? Is he referring to them as the healthy? I don't believe Jesus thinks in any way that they're healthy. But in their own minds, when he, they hear that, they say, well, we're the healthy. Because that's what self-righteous does. I'm okay. I'm good. And, and for the Pharisees, they're thinking, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm doing what I need to do. My list is complete. Uh, and, and God loves me. There it is. Because of all the things that I'm achieving. They were critical from a self-centered perspective. They were, they were critical from their own list of these are the things you need to do. These are the things you need to do. Let me ask you, in, in light of this, this symptom, am I critical of others? I need to ask yourself, am I critical of others? Now, in, in that question, there is a good kind of critical, you know what I mean? And matter of fact, I encourage it here uh, with, with our leadership and with me and, 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 and uh, Eric and Matthew. Man, if you see something and you have a suggestion, maybe, maybe you need to tweak, maybe you need to do something, I would love to have that conversation with you. Because that's, that's, I believe that's part of the church. How have we made some of the changes that we made and, and going in a good direction comes from good criticism or our good conversation. We'll put it that way. Helpful. There is that helpful kind of conversation. And that's not what we're talking about. But, but what is that kind of critical conversation? 
you see, I, I, I know and understand that the Pharisees, they were always in groups and they would always stand off to the side when they're witnessing or watching this. And I believe they were off to the side watching this dinner party going on with Jesus and the sinners. And so they begin to, under their breath, and, and matter of fact, they're going to spread it on to, to not to Jesus himself, but they're going, to, they're going to start talking to the disciples. Now, in my mind, I think the disciples probably are having a hard time with this too, right? The, the ones who were already called, uh, Peter, James, and, and John, uh, you know, those, those guys have been following Jesus. And now, you, do, do you not think that they're, they're in their tax collectors and, and, and other sinners? And they're thinking, why are we here? And then the Pharisees come along and says, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Can you see it go on? Uh, you know what it's like when someone's undermining and being critical. They, they come over to the side and they begin to speak that into your ear. And that's why I think Jesus is the one who addressed it. When he said, hey, listen, I didn't come for the healthy, it came for the sick. That was for the apostles as well. That was for the apostles as well. They're, I mean, they're learning. They're learning. They're seeing what's most important to Jesus. <coughs> but, but instead, you know, those are the people who look according to their list. And, man, and, and they're, they're over there negative and they're, they're belly aching. They're just criticizing the things that are happening around. And it's not one that they'll come to maybe myself or, or maybe another leader or a teacher or someone. They, they won't go directly but they're going to go off to the side and do the, the critical talk. Take it home. Put it on, maybe put it on my website or something like that. I don't know. But to talk directly, because constructive is going to be direct. Destructive is going to be indirect. It's going to be off to the side. Listen, if we're involved in that kind of a, a, a critical, uh, critical conversation, if we're, if we're being critical, then then. There's a self-righteousness working in you. There's a self-righteousness working in you. Also, second, the self-righteous will promote separation and isolation from those who are sinful. Okay? The self-righteous will promote separation and isolation from those who are sinful. Now, the Pharisees are absolutely errant in their thinking. And here's what they're thinking. The righteous cannot associate with the unrighteous. Now that, we as Pharisees, we, there's certain people we can't be around or we're going to catch it. It's almost like a contagious thing, right? Or, or we're going to become, if I'm with the unrighteous, I'm going to become unrighteous. Now we look back and we think in the Old Testament, well, isn't that what God taught? You know, because there was a separate nation. There was through Abraham created this nation and they were to be separate from all other nations. But, but it's pretty obvious in the scriptures that God wanted to bless this particular nation, wanted this particular nation to put their focus upon God and, and for other nations to be able to see, wow, what God is doing for those people. God wanted to be recognized through that nation. He, he wanted to use that nation so all the world would be able to know that, man, Israel's God is the one and only God. Now, that, that was clear perspective of what God desired. Now, as, as the Pharisees, they've come to that place of, man, we can't be with foreigners, and we can't be with sinners, or we're just going to become unrighteous. It became one of their laws that, that they, they were clinging to. But Jesus, 
in this passage. You've got to love Jesus in the way he approaches people. Jesus came for the unrighteous is what he said. And he's, man, he's right in that activity. He didn't separate himself from the sinful. He didn't exclude himself from anyone. Instead, he accepted. He welcomed people. And man, they were drawn to him. How does Jesus do it, right? He loved well, right? And that's what we're called to. We are to, called to love well. Now, let me ask you this question. Who would you be surprised to see Jesus hanging with today? Who would you be surprised to see Jesus sit down and share a meal with today? I did some thinking about that. I, I did some serious thinking about that. I mean, we've talked about the LGBT. Could you imagine Gay Pride Day? Uh, there's a parade going on. They're celebrating. They're doing all those things. And guess who is, ho- guess who is hosting a lunch for them after the parade? Jesus. What would you say? Jesus, what are you doing? Have, have we been following the, the wrong Savior? Have we been duped? He's sitting down with the LGBTQ community. Are you serious? What if, what if we hear that Jesus has spent this past week, you know, in, in the home of maybe that, uh, what is that called, a halfway house of, of convicted uh, sex, sex offenders, and Jesus is, is, is spending some time with them? I don't know. Would you think with me? Who else? Abortionist? Uh, could, could it be uh, uh, maybe a uh, terrorist? Uh, just think about the worst of people that you wouldn't even want to find yourself at the same table with. And, and then un- understand when Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. He came for those who are sinners, who need salvation. Then think of the worst place, and that's exactly where Jesus would be. That's exactly where Jesus would be. In a book called Missional Essentials that my Monday morning group is, is reading through by Brad Briscoe and Lance Ford, he said within uh, this, this last reading we had this week, he said, unless we find a way to open ourselves to others. Did you hear that? Unless we find a way to open ourselves to others, we will be the ones more isolated and hostile. There's a warning in that. Uh, what they've been talking about is hosp- the word hospitality. The word hospitality, Uh, in the scripture, it calls us to hospitality. In that word hospitality, it means to be welcoming of strangers. I I could be hospitable to all you guys. Man, that's easy. Love to have you into my home. But who are the people that would be difficult to have into my home? LGBT community, uh, you know, uh, someone who's been convicted of a, uh, you know, a crime, murder, or, 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 you know, violent crime or something like that. Antifa, they're going to eat at my table this evening. Someone who's protested and was violent this last year. Unless I'm able to be hospitable, it says if I'm not learning to be hospitable, if I'm not learning to open up and to be welcoming of everyone and have that sense that what I'm doing is learning to be more and more closing myself off, isolated and Hostile. That is absolutely the opposite of what Jesus calls his people to. It is absolutely opposite of what Jesus called his apostles to, right? Oh man, he sent them out to, to spread the gospel to, to, you know, to, to the whole world. 
And the church still has that mission. We carry with that. And, and we are to be welcoming of the stranger. And we are to be in the very places Jesus would be. The places where the, the tax collectors and the sinners, those people in the LGBT community, those people who are terrorists, those people who are, you know, who have convicted of crimes, those people who have even hurt and offended you, where to be there with his mercy and his grace. That really leads to this final point. The self-righteous are independent of God's mercy. This is the, the third symptom. The self-righteous are independent of, of God's mercy. Again, that's the definition of what self-righteous is. They're independent of God's mercy. Man, their mercy is coming because they're doing everything right. And, and the problem with that, outside of God's mercy, there is no forgiveness. Outside of God's mercy, I'm not right with God. I could do right all day long and, and make attempts and, and, and follow my list. I'm never going to be right with God. Understand that. I mean, we have that message all the time. Where's our righteousness come from? It's absolutely Jesus. There's the only place where I have my righteousness. It's going to be because of his mercy and his action through Jesus. We gotta understand, man, that's our, that's our very baseline, that's our foundational message. Jesus has done it all for us. That's my salvation, that's my mercy. And, and let me tell you what, for those who are still doing it on their own and counting on their own goodness, then they in no way are gonna be living God's mercy. They're no way are gonna be able to be forgiving of those most difficult cases, maybe those who have even attacked us. We're gonna find it hard to be forgiving. If, if you're living a life and there's those people we just, we can't and we're not absolutely not going to forgive, then, then we, we don't have that mercy of God. Because I believe that that mercy, when we're given that mercy, we know how to use it. We, we grow and we learn how to use that mercy. Learning how to forgive is a part of who we are. And, and also, we're going to find it very difficult to be around anybody who is identified as sick. Sinners and, and tax collectors, as Jesus put them around, as, as he sat at their table. We're, we're not going to have that sense of mercy and that approachability working within us if God's mercy is not working in us. Understand that. Also, uh, just, just the fact that instead of that, what we're going to have working within us is condemnation and, and, and a sense of judgment upon See, I believe the self-righteous not only being critical, they're going to be people who, who will call down hell fire upon people. Remember James and John had to be corrected about that earlier this summer as we dealt with that. I thought about, you know, there's, there's this, some scenes that I've seen through my life, whether it's on the news or, or in YouTube. You know, I've seen some scenarios, some specific courtroom scenes where someone who's been convicted of murder has, they do that thing where they have to now listen to the family as they have the opportunity to speak to the, the murder of maybe a family member. Have you seen those scenes? Uh, and I've seen both cases. I've seen some, and, and I will tell you, I understand the hurt and pain. I, I, well, I, I can't understand. I, I know that, that that pain would be terrible to, to face a murderer, say my son, and, and, and then to, to listen to him. In, in some cases, it's like this. I, you're going to rot in hell. 
You, and I, do, do you understand? Do you, do you understand that response? Because I do. Someone who's taken my son's life, because all within me, the person that I am, I would say, I, you're going to rot in hell. I'm looking forward to that. that that's who I am. That's, that's opposite of the mercy and grace that God has given me, though. I've also seen the case where, where the murderer is there and the person says, can you imagine? I forgive you. And I hope that you come to know the forgiveness that God gives through Jesus. Could you imagine? I, I've seen those. Have you seen those? You know, through news or other things. One is absolutely and can only be done when we understand and we've been receiving the mercy of God. I believe that's the only place anyone is able to say those words to someone who's caused such great pain into their life is because God uh, has, has given to me something that I don't deserve, his mercy and his grace. It's only through that that someone could absolutely look at someone who has absolutely hurt them and offended them and says, I forgive you because that mercy has been given to me and that mercy is absolutely from God and I give it to you. You see, that's what we're called to. Oh, man, I, that's not easy. I know that when, when I preach the sermon, say, hey, we're called to love one another, and we all go home, and, and then some of you just keep on questioning and saying, how do you do that? Because you're, you're rubbing shoulders with people, working with people, going to school with people who just hate you and treat you poorly. My natural response is to hate. But in my life with God... My relationship with God, the mercy that's within me, he calls to me to something impossible. (laughs) It's to love like he loves and to forgive like he forgives and to approach people with mercy the way Jesus did with tax collectors and sinners. I don't want to miss verse 13. I want to take a quick look at that. That's exactly what we learn out of verse 13. Hey, here, Jesus, Jesus approaches 13. The next thing he says after, he says, hey, listen, you know, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for, this, for the sick. Then he says to those Pharisees, those, those uh, uh, self-righteous people, he says, but go and learn what this means. Now, that had to be offensive to the group of Pharisees. It really, if you think about it, that had to be very offensive because he said, hey, he was treating them like students. And not only that, I be- he was treating them like beginners, like they didn't even, weren't even familiar with the word. And, and let me tell you what, these Pharisees were they're doing it right in the fact that they were paying attention to all the scriptures. It wasn't just Moses' works in the first five books. It was the prophets and everything else. They were immersed in it. And when Jesus said, hey, when Jesus told them, say, hey, go learn what this means. And then he quotes Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, but Hosea 6, 6. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What's he saying? I want you to be merciful. That's how God operates. That's how God has ever worked with us. It's been according to his long suffering. It's been according to his mercy. That's how he's worked with you and I. It's been through his mercy I don't desire your sacrifice. I don't desire your self-righteous actions. I don't desire your lists. I want you to act in the mercy that I've given you. Oh, 
Man, if we just caught that, then we'll be able to fight this, this terrible disease of self-righteousness. Disease, or yeah, no, I shouldn't even call it a disease. It is sinfulness. It is sinfulness. I want to talk to you now that we are called to live by God's mercy. So very important. I want us to just review these symptoms of, of self-righteousness. First of all, the, the self-righteous are critical and, and uh, critical of, of righteous work. Is that you? Are we finding ourselves just being critical and, and, and getting together with others and just speaking what we think and, and undermining maybe something that's being done that's good, that we don't see as good, and, and, and we're, we're just grumping about it? it, it that's, I mean, then, then there's self-righteousness working in you. The self-righteous will promote separation and isolation from those who are sinful. You know, are there those people that, man, I would not be kept, caught dead at their table? I, I, there's some people that I will just absolutely avoid. I cannot be around them because they're sinful, they're headed to hell, that kind of attitude, Then I'm a self-righteous person. The self-righteous are independent of God's mercy. The self-righteous are all about my task, my things I'm doing for God, and I'm good because of it. It's not because of Jesus. We don't have that full understanding. Now, again, the problem is that, that we're going to be blind to it. So here, here's what I see. There's two ways to pray after this sermon, after you hear this. I, I don't know of another. If you think there's another way to pray, you let me know. But I believe there's two ways to pray. If we're identifying self-righteousness working in my life, repent. That's the prayer. God, forgive my self-righteousness. And I will let you know, I've been there several times. 61 years old, there's a lot of self-righteousness worked in this guy. And I've had to repent of it. I've had to repent of it. The, the second, man, if I don't see self-righteousness work in my life today, here's the second way you could pray. Only these two. The second way to pray is, God, Lord, if there is self-righteousness, I don't see it, but if there's self-righteousness working in me, Lord, make it known. Help me to see. Open my eyes to see. See, you know, where is my dependence? Lord, even, even if you're bold enough, just say, God, discipline me. If I'm operating my life according to my own self-righteousness, discipline me. Hey, if we want to be right with God, those are the two choices. Repentance or, Lord, do I need repentance? Open my eyes. As a matter of fact, number two is what I pray a lot anymore. God, if I'm being self-righteous in any way, let me know. Open my eyes to see those two choices and only those two choices. If you have another one, let me know. I, I would love to know it. Let's pray. Let's go before God. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we see real life happening around Jesus. It's not just about maybe the words he spoke. We have that to our access. But uh, then seeing him in conflict or the conflict that those Pharisees bring towards Jesus. We're, and we watch and we see how he deals with it. We see how he, he deals with those uh, self-righteous leaders. Lord, who, who, who thought they had it all figured out until he came to reveal what true righteousness looked like. Father, uh, humble us today. 
We, we Lord, want to be a church that, Lord, where, where self-righteousness has difficulty. We, we want to be in pursuit of, of the kind of ministry that's going to be doing exactly what Jesus did, to be, to be going after the sick, and, and that the Word of God is being known in this community because uh, the people in this congregation know that Jesus wants them in, at the homes and at the tables of those who are sinful in order for them to share the light of Jesus. Father, I pray that if the conviction of the Spirit is upon anyone here this morning, that you lead us to repentance. And Father, if not, Lord, if, if, if we don't see that within ourselves, please, Lord, open our eyes. Open our, open our eyes to see if there is self-righteousness working within us. The truth is, Lord, we praise you for the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Uh, through, through humility, Lord, we admit to you our sinfulness, our brokenness, the shame of all that. Lord, we're not worthy of what Jesus has done, and yet you sent him out of your great love. So we, we praise you for that. And Lord, if self-righteousness is working in any of us, Lord, I pray that your spirit will convict us, that Lord, you will discipline us, you will correct that within us to the place where we come to you and, and ask for that forgiveness that we so need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.